G'day everyone. Welcome to the Passion to Profession podcast. I'm your host, Rita Joyan. A big warm welcome to you. In this episode, if my voice is sounding a bit echoey, please excuse me, I'm speaking from or I'm recording from a co-working space and so I'm trialing the space out. So if it's sounding a bit echoey, give me a moment. It's going to sound much better once I put on the episode for you. And this episode is all about emotional intelligence. Last year, I was asked to deliver a keynote to the EAPA Congress in Canberra uh, on the topic of emotional intelligence to the executive assistants, PAs of ministers, CEOs, CFOs, who they're basically these EAs and PAs, they're on the same challenge, they're on the same line um, when scandals break out, when challenges emerge. These guys have to be emotionally fit to carry through and get the minister, get the CEO, get the CFO, get them, get their bosses through that challenge in the capacity that they perform in their role. And so emotional intelligence is all about, well, how do you become emotionally fit? If we get triggered, if we get frustrated, if we get annoyed, how do we gain a handle on that so that the day is not run by that emotion? And so the importance of this is what is emotional intelligence? How do we understand our gaps? And then how do we actually fill those gaps up? And it's a long life journey. Everyone's a student of emotional intelligence. I'm here as the person who has garnered the content, who has created the, uh, the opportunity to see where the gaps are and to give you the solutions of how to insert those solutions in where you would feel you need to become emotionally fit. So this is the keynote. It's straight from the uh, actual uh, talk that I did. For the, it was on online. It was last year. It was like during COVID time, so it had to be online. But if you'd like to see the slides, if you'd like to be, see me do the keynote on the slides, because you can see my face, I will upload it onto YouTube. But this is the audio recording of that actual keynote on emotional intelligence and how it is more important than uh, intelligence, IQ. And so hopefully you enjoy it, guys. So sit back, relax if you're driving, enjoy the drive. Here's how emotional intelligence is affecting you and how you can have a handle on it. And by the way, if you are looking for, because again, I'm getting a lot of um, emails asking uh, me to help people, help them find their passion, reduce the clutter, gain clarity in their direction. If that speaks to you, you can most welcome to drop me a line at Rita at unboxyourgift.com. That's R-I-T-A at unboxyourgift.com. And if you're an organization that wants emotional intelligence training also, please drop me a line and we will get the team to get it all sorted out for you. So thank you guys. Enjoy this keynote. It's straight from the actual uh, talk that I did. So there's no editing at, at all. Uh, and uh, let me know how you go. Here we go. So what I wanted to do to start off the presentation, and my apologies for not being there in person, I do have a sore throat and a runny nose. So I wanted to just play safe and be respectful to everybody who's present at the moment. I, I can see everyone from a distance. Thank you, Christy. I can see everyone. Can I just see from a show of hands, how many people know about emotional intelligence? By a show of hands, how many people know? Thank you. Awesome. I can see. Thank you very much, Christy. Thank you. You can put your hands down. By a show of hands, how many people don't know much about emotional intelligence? Okay, great. Fantastic. 
And by show of hands, who's here because there's nothing else on the agenda. So you may as well just sit here and listen to what I'm going to say to you. So wherever you sit, <laughs> wherever you sit in that sphere, I want to give you the breakdown of how to be able to use this potential you have within you called emotional intelligence. Now, I want to start off by telling you a story. And the story goes like this. It's dark. There's war. You're panicking. A husband and wife are gathering their kids together, dressing them up as gypsies. So when they exit the door, they don't get seen as someone who's trying to escape Afghanistan. As they exit the door, they can hear grenades, they can hear fires, they can see soldiers. But they quietly take their kids and they go into the embrace of a people smuggler. And all this trust goes into the people smuggler to get them somewhere over a two-week journey on foot and via car to get them to a safe space, hopefully in either neighboring Pakistan or neighboring India. And I share that story with you because currently, as we're talking about emotional intelligence, there are 26 million people in the world who are refugees. And we have as a population in Australia, just over 25 million people. What that means is, is that emotional intelligence is really defined and really magnified in the journey of a refugee. On the other hand, we come to today where we're sitting at a conference and we're just doing our work and we are just going about our day and yet we still have conflicts, we still have emotions, we still have things that irritate and get to our attention. And so this, the actual spectrum of the refugee journey, which is so intense and so magnified, which stretches the emotional intelligence muscle to the other spectrum where we get to stay in a country where there's peace, where we get to work, but still there's so much more emotion and things that we have to deal with. From that spectrum to where we are now, and everything in between is where emotional intelligence happens. I'm just using this refugee example to just magnify the emotions and how to really work this muscle called emotional intelligence. So the, what is this thing called emotional intelligence? You'll find, for those of you who have put your hand up and said that you've read about it or you know about it, you would have read things like it's about understanding someone else, understanding yourself, and making decisions from that. And there are various definitions. But the key crux of what emotional intelligence is, it's how to manage your mind. In one word, it's simply how to manage those, that thing between your ears, how to manage the emotion that comes from what you're feeling or what you're not feeling. And so how you cope with what's being handed to you, whether it's just a great thing and you don't want to sabotage it, or something that's in dire straits. Whatever on that spectrum, from the refugee journey to where you are now, whatever and everything in between, whatever is handed to you, emotional intelligence is about how to manage your mind in navigating your way through that, coping with it. So whether you are you know, whether you have a lot of degrees or whether you're very experienced in what you do, 
or whether you're very well educated in what you do. And there's a difference between being schooled and being educated, and that's a whole other story. But wherever you sit on that spectrum, that's all called intellectual or IQ. That's intellect, how many degrees you've had, how many experience you've got, how many books you've read, what you know about the knowledge of this. So in society, we pursue and we are encouraged by school to pursue that thing that gives us intellectual status. So if you are a doctor, if you are a lawyer, if you are an EA, if you are someone who has some level of status in a pay bracket and a title, you are seen as somebody. And that's fine and that's what's worked for society. But where the floor of that is, what gives into that, what doesn't hold that up, is when someone is a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher, an EA or experienced or very educated, when they miss the component of how to exercise their mind, how to be emotionally fit, how to cope with what comes at them, that's the, that's the distinction between someone who excels in their profession and someone who hits a glass ceiling. And that distinction is what emotional intelligence is about. How does someone without a degree, without being able to have the knowledge, still be able to excel? When the ref if you take the refugee journey, there are doctors, there are lawyers, there are tradesmen, there are unemployed people. All that book knowledge becomes irrelevant when the rubber meets the road. And what matters is how do you handle yourself emotionally? What is your emotional bandwidth? That is what it is. So in society, we've been really in the high pursuit of doing all this stuff. And this stuff is fine. Education, experience, and book knowledge skyrockets when the foundation becomes emotional intelligence. So here are three reasons why emotional intelligence is something to really engage with and really catch your attention, why it's important. The first part is that they did a research study on what is your goal. And the research study had people from all walks of life. They asked the question like, what do you want? Like, what's your goal? One person said, my goal is to get to the next pay bracket. Another person said, well, my goal is to be able to get this position. Another person said, my goal is to be on this particular team, work for that particular person. And every single person they said what their goal was. The researcher followed up with the question of, but why? Why do you want that goal? And so the person said, well, to get to the next pay bracket, that would give me more choice. And then I could then go do stuff with that money. And so the researcher said, well, then well, why do you want that next choice? Why do you want choice? So the researcher kept asking why to each person's goals until the ultimate destination for each person was all they really want is to be happy. But it takes the pay bracket, the job title, the working for that boss, working in that particular group to end up in this destination of feeling happiness. And so the point of that was, is everything that we do drives us by, we are driven by feeling. We actually don't work for the pay bracket. We actually don't work for working for that boss. We actually don't work for, I want a new position because I've outgrown this. What we're really worked for is we live for emotions because what I feel is that I feel different. I feel like I've outgrown something. I feel like I want to change. We work for feelings. How it materializes is through the new job, the new group, the new boss, 
the new house. But at its nth degree, ask anybody what they want. It's basically to give you a certain feeling, whether you want kids, whether you want to be married, not be married. It's all to give you a feeling. And that's what we truly, at the end of the day, work for, which is why emotional intelligence becomes so important. Because we, when we work for feeling and we might use money or title or position or social interaction, what we're really working for is the feeling that comes from having those things. So it's in our DNA, and I'm going to talk more about this, about how we're wired for emotion over reasoning, how we're wired, how our physical body, how our physical brain is wired for emotion. The second reason is your income is directly related to how much emotional intelligence you exercise. They've done a study and another study, and they found that on average, on average, those who are emotionally fit, emotionally fit, earn $29,000 per annum more than those people who don't have or like to acquire, who don't have emotional intelligence. They've even gone further to that and say every single point of emotional intelligence that is increased, it's a $1,300 increase in a pay bracket across the board. And that could be, but depending on what industry you're in, $1,300 or 1,300 points, depending on where you are sitting in what industry. But the bottom line that they have found is why people earn more, why does this EA more, earn more than that one? Why does that manager, CEO, earn more than that one? Same people, same positions. And they found that the missing link between one that does earn more and one that does not is simply this thing called managing your mind or emotional intelligence. The third reason is that your mind is neuroplastic. Once upon a time, scientists, neurosurgeons, thought that your brain was like a computer. When you and I buy a computer, it has a certain amount of memory and a certain number of features. And that's all we can work with. We want more memory, we want more features, we upgrade to a new computer. And that's how they scientists thought our brain was. That whatever, however you learn math, however you interact with people, however you communicate, however you conflict manage, however you do that, once you reach a certain age, that's all you can do. Well, that's what you got, that's what you got to work with. But now neurosurgeons, neuro meaning the brain, have found out that actually the brain's plastic, which means it can actually mold to when you create new pathways. So when you exercise your brain, when you exercise new pathways are formed and therefore when you create new decisions, new outcomes are created. But that decision wouldn't even come about if you hadn't changed your thinking in advance. And so that's why it's so important that unlike the eye color you were born with, unlike the skin color you were born with, unlike the height you were given, and that's it. The great news about this is that neuroplastic is all about how your brain can change as you're exercising the brain, new levels of heightened awareness and therefore success and therefore personal leadership is gained. So the goal here, 
is making sure that in emotional intelligence is making sure that you can control your emotions on demand. See, there's a difference between being controlled when emotions overtake you, emotions of anger. I mean, there are different shades of anger, rage, seething, frustration. When any emotion, happiness, joy, ecstasy, they're all different shades of emotions. Rather than have the emotion overtake you, emotional intelligence is about how do you control that on demand? So you're still feeling it, but how do you control it so that it doesn't overtake you and take you out of the goal that you're trying to achieve? So how does emotional intelligence work? This is like by far, I love this part because this is really, for those of you who have learned about it, I'm gonna show you the mechanics of it. So emotional intelligence, if everybody, I can see everyone to an extent, if everybody can just put their hand, their right hand, on the on the like the base of their head. That's called your frontal lobe. If you can do that, you'll be able to see what I'm trying to say to you. If you can put your hand on your, that's your frontal lobe, which is located behind your forehead. Super, thank you. Thank you, Christy, for showing me that. So that you've done that, that's where thinking happens. That's your rational brain. That's your logical brain. That's where reasoning happens. When I see a red light, I'm a stop. When I see a green light, I'm a go. So that's reasoning. Now, the way the body is engineered, the way you and I have been created, is any stimuli when we touch something, when we hear something, when we taste something, when I see something, when I smell something, any stimuli that I come in contact with shoots into, every, shoots into my body with electrical signals. And cell by cell by cell in nanoseconds, it travels to the ultimate destination, which is my brain. But to get to my brain, it has to go through my spinal cord. The entry to every, everything you see, everything you touch, everything that irritates you, everything that makes you feel happy, everything that makes you feel bored or somber, any stimulus goes through your body, but to enter the brain, it comes through the spinal cord. But because the rational brain, the reasoning brain is right there, the middle part here is called your limbic system. And the limbic system is where all the emotion happens. And so before what you see, taste, hear, can get to reasoning, it has to go through an emotional phase. That's why you press the snooze button. That's why you reach for the donut when you're supposed to be healthy. Because we experience emotion before we experience reasoning. And so if reasoning is here and the stimulus has to go past the emotional part of your brain, the dance between these two things here, the rational and the feeling part of your brain, the limbic, the dance between the conversation is where emotional intelligence happens. That's what's going on. There is an exchange of information taking place. That's why you have a gut feeling, like your intuition speaks to you, that's what's going on. So there are times when intuition is gonna speak louder. And there are times when it's gotta be overridden because in that moment, it's not right to react. And that dance, knowing when to react and when to respond is the emotional intelligence puzzle that we're working on today. So anytime 
you touch, see, taste, smell, hear anything, any feeling, because these all create feelings in you. That's how it moves from the spinal cord to the limbic system to rational thinking. And the dance between rational and feeling is where emotional intelligence is operating. And that's what we're on about today. So we experience emotion. This is really important because people say, I'm not an emotional person. Well, actually, that's how you're geared. That's how you're physically geared up to be. You may not want to experience emotion. You may cut off emotion. That's different. But you definitely experience emotion before you experience logic. So as you go about your day, whether you're sitting at home with family and friends, whether you're exercising, whether you're on the computer, whether you're at work, whether you're sleeping, you are 24-7. You receive a stream of emotions, whether you understand those emotions or not. And those emotions create your mood. Your mood creates your decision-making. So when sometimes people say to me, what, what do you mean when I'm sleeping? Well, you dream when you're sleeping. You might sweat when you're sleeping. These create emotions. These create decision-making in your own brain, in your own mind. And it's about being aware of what are your triggers, what pushes your buttons that allows you to take a hold of managing your mind. Okay, so the goal here, guys, the goal with emotional intelligence is not to be controlled by your emotions. Instead, the goal is to spot emotions and use them to your benefit. When you think of the refugee journey, when you think of someone who is on ultimate life and death, decision-making is what they've got to work on. Responding and reacting and using emotional intelligence when they see something and they want to get angry and they don't. Harnessing the power of emotion is what allows someone to eventually get safe out of where they are to someone who has to just stay there. And yes, there's a lot of more things that come to it. But having worked in this space, emotional intelligence is when you need it most, when there's an overwhelming amount of emotion and your ability to control that emotion is what gains you your superpower. It what gains you the ability to rearrange your mind and have emotions work for you rather than against you. So how do we do that? Okay, that's the thousand dollar question. How do we do that? How do we improve and develop emotional intelligence? There are four components to emotional intelligence. If you've got a paper and pen, please go ahead and take these notes down because it's going to really make sense when you go back into the office, when you're looking at your notes, when you're trying to get irritated by something, this, you're gonna come back to this. There are four components to emotional intelligence. The first one, and hopefully you can see that, is self-awareness. Self-awareness is all about what makes me tick, what makes you tick, and what pushes your buttons. It's becoming really, really aware. In the 1930s and 40s, there was a gentleman who had a very bad alcohol problem. So he's an alcoholic. But in those days, the 30s and 40s, alcoholism wasn't seen a disease that could be helped. It was just something that you were lazy. 
that you couldn't do anything about that. And so this gentleman who had lost his wife, had lost his marriage, he had lost his job, was just in dire, it was just in complete dire straits. And it wasn't, it was just by chance that someone said, why don't you come to this specific congregation? And his friend was said, you know, I got myself out of being an alcoholic. Maybe they could help you too. And he's like, what, just by coming up to these, this congregation? So he had nothing to lose. And with his friend, he went. And in this, he learned the skill of self-awareness. And the gentleman that learned the skill of self-awareness is a gentleman by the name of Bill Wilson, who created Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12-step system that helps people overcome gambling. And it's by the status of actually looking at yourself, self-awareness is looking at yourself with all the beauty and the blemishes that come with being you. And rather than escape the blemish of reaching for the drink, and maybe not be the drink, it may be the food, it may be the fact that the TV, it may be the, whatever it is, we all have an escape. Self-awareness is being so intimate with yourself that when you're faced with something that you don't want to handle with yourself, rather than escaping to something else, with all the beauty and the blemish that has is you, that you face that. To understand what triggers you, what triggers you, why does that trigger you, and what makes you tick. And that's the gift of the part of managing your brain of knowing yourself, just self-awareness. The second part of self-awareness is self-management. And self-management is delaying or putting on hold a momentary gain for a long-term pleasure or a long-term goal. Here's how it's best explained. I don't know about how many of you guys would know about the marshmallow experiment. The marshmallow experiment was an experiment where they took five to six-year-olds individually and they put them in a room. And a research, researcher walks in and says, okay, kid, this is a marsh, one marshmallow in front of you. You can eat that now, but if you wait 15 minutes until I, I'm gonna leave the room and come back. And if you wait 15 minutes, I'm gonna reward you with two marshmallows. So these poor kids who are like now alone with one marshmallow in the room, some of them are jumping up and down trying to distract themselves. Some of them are smelling the marshmallow. Some of them are moving the marshmallow. Some of them are like doing a dance to just distract themselves. And then there are others who can't resist and then they just gobble down the marshmallow. And so the researcher comes back in and those who were able to not eat the marshmallow were rewarded with a second marshmallow. And so you think like, well, so what's, what's the point of that? So they track these kids down, these, these group of kids, and they've tracked them down when they just had finished school. And they realized that those that had waited 15 minutes for the second marshmallow, so like, it's just so blase, just insignificant. But those who had waited actually got higher marks in school and had a lot more friends than those who had not waited 15 minutes. And then you think, okay, and? Then they tracked the same kids in their 30s. And in their 30s, they realized that those who had waited 15 minutes had, were receiving a lot more income than those who had not waited. They had a lot more friends in adulthood 
than those who had not waited. And thirdly, they were just well adjusted to life. Like they drew enjoyment from life. Whereas for others, the other group, it was a struggle. And so what that shows in just that one experiment, which is the umbrella of self-awareness, self-regulation is just withholding, not giving in to a momentary reward, but holding back for a larger, more important goal to pursue. And that's self-regulation. The third part of emotional intelligence is social awareness. And social awareness is spotting and understanding people's emotions right in the thick of it. Not later on, not, oh, I should have said that. No, I think that was what they meant. Right in the thick of things, picking up, spotting, reading people's emotions as it is happening. If we take a look at someone like a Jacinta Ardern, regardless of her politics, in her first term in office as the New Zealand Prime Minister, for those who may not know, uh, in her first year in office, she had to form government with a different party. And now here's where social awareness works. She's got to work with a different party, has to be socially aware of what's going on emotionally. Yes, of course, people always, all, we all say words, we all use our words, but emotions speak higher. So when she's working with the emotion of this new group, plus her own cabinet, making sure that she doesn't conflict with what they, these girls, her own group, her own party wants, in addition to the new party, her own party, and now the public, there are three moving parts that she's got to be on top of. And so social awareness is making sure that you're reading emotions so that the next time the election happens, for, for Jacinta Ardern, it became a landslide victory. And so no longer does she need the other party, she forms government on her own and now just addresses the public. That's a real microscopic example of how social awareness works to read emotions and act accordingly in the thick of things. And then the last part of emotional intelligence is relationship management. And boy, can I just say to you, relationship management is the hardest, is the hardest because it's about, it's, there's moving parts, it's, it's, it's individuals. And it's the most stressful in the workplace, especially in the workplace, because if you let things go and don't acknowledge it and become passive, then just, you know, conflicts emerge, passive aggression emerges. And so relationship management is about managing interactions successfully. And it's no more true than when you're in the unknown, in literally God knows where you are, and you have to find out if someone who's giving you information as a refugee, is it the right information? Or are they just trying to take me towards the dead end? Are they gonna actually take me to safety or are they gonna take my money? Can I trust that person to be with my kids while I go and do X or can I? It's, relate, it's reading people's emotions. Because everyone's gonna say on that journey, yeah, trust me. Well, you know, I, I got you back. But understanding, having a, an awareness of self allows you a heightened understanding of managing others and their emotions and reading them and seeing past the words. So emotional intelligence is the single biggest 
predictor of success in the workplace. Because you can have all the skill set, but if you don't know how to communicate, or communicate effectively, you'll always just be in that position or in that pay bracket or move one or two inches, but not to the potential that you see yourself as. Because as people get more skilled up, there's nothing wrong with being skilled up in learning a new degree or a new course or a program, but when you miss the component of how to manage your own mind, because now you're dealing with humans, that part of it we miss out. Because we enter the workforce knowing how to read, how to write, how to do some math, but little do we know of how to actually manage emotions because ultimately that's what's gonna get you to your next move in your career or hopefully get you to your next whatever endeavor it is. It's knowing how to read yourself and others in the circumstances that gives you the biggest predictor of success rather than just knowing the skill because there are many people who know the skill. How you distinguish yourself is how you carry yourself by managing your mind. So that trade, the roots, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship management, the fruits of working on those four things. And let me give you a, a better, like, hopefully you can see, you guys can see that. The fruits of working on those four things is empathy, stress tolerance, social skills, anger management, presentation skills, communication, accountability, flexibility, assertiveness, confidence, trust. These are all things that regardless of what job you're in is a prerequisite to want to live personal leadership, to want to live personal excellence. Because guaranteed there were people on the, in the refugee journey who are doctors, who are unemployed, who are tradesmen, but it doesn't matter what you studied. It matters, matters how you're managing your mind in the crucial moments. And that's what it is for every single individual, whether they've experienced being a refugee, whether you know someone, you don't need to, you still experience the journey of life. And the journey of life is understanding how to actually respond with the thing that matters most and the thing that enters your brain first, which is your emotions, which then gives your ability to be empathetic or not, to communicate effectively or not. So how do we make emotions work for you instead of against you? Now, the four things that I just spoke about, guys, the roots or the, the, the dominant four things that hold up everything else, which is social awareness, self-regulation, relationship management, and uh, self-social awareness, they're a big topic. Usually when I do workshops, I go deeper with this, I go dive deep and I dig into each single one. But because of time, I'm only going to be able to focus on one of them. And the one thing that I'm going to focus on to help you guys manage your mind with today is social awareness. And the reason why it's social awareness is because social awareness is like the hinge you're seeing on the door there. It's the hinge that swings the door. When you are face to face with yourself, with all the blemishes and the beauty that it comes with, then everything else becomes easier. Your ability to self-regulate, relationships, social awareness, all of those becomes better, becomes more effective, becomes easier when you can understand where you're coming from. So 
Let's drive into self-awareness specifically. You need to remember that all emotions serve a purpose. Emotions are the reactions to your world. It's how you interpret the world. It's your first interpretation of the world before reasoning kicks in. Feelings are not good or bad. They're there to help you understand, understand your kid, understand your boss, understand yourself. When you're self-aware, you're more likely to pursue the right opportunity. Boy, is this a big one. I teach people, on a, I teach a self-awareness program on its own, and I teach people how to find their passion, what they're good at. And one of the reasons why people say to me, I just don't know what I want to do, or I don't know where to go for A or B. One of the biggest fundamental reasons why that indecision or the lack of clarity exists is because we're not aware of what makes us tick and we're not aware of what pushes our buttons to the extent to know what is the right thing to do. Because when we know what the right opportunity is, the reason why that works is because we're able to put your, you're able to put your strengths to work and stop your emotions from holding you back. Just let that really seep in. When you become more self-aware, you'll pursue the right opportunity because your emotions will not be holding your back. So in other words, when you, if ever you've had a thought of, well, maybe I'm not good enough, maybe I'm not cut out for that role, maybe I'm not ready for that role, maybe that's too big of a leap, Anytime you've had hesitations, it's really about there's an emotion behind that. And so becoming, which is what I'm going to teach you now, how to become more self-aware is going to enable you to know when your emotions are holding you back. Like at what point are your emotions true? That dance that's happening, how to deploy emotional intelligence so you don't wipe yourself out. How to keep yourself within it so that your emotions work with you and not against you. And the biggest part is thinking through emotions to figure out why they came, wh where they came from and why they're there. That in itself is self-awareness. Why do you feel what you feel? And although that may sound elementary, this is the first time many of us come face to face with ourselves because we might be a certain age, but we may not be a certain age in understanding who we are. So we might be in our 20s or our 30s or our 40s, but it doesn't mean we're a 30 something year old knowing exactly how we operate. We may be still 36 year old with an emotional intelligence of a 16 year old or an 18 year old. And that's not an insult. That's just saying there's exercises that need to be done. An understanding and awareness of self needs to be deployed. And that's why thinking through where emotions come from and why they're there enables us to better acquaint ourselves with what triggers us and what makes allows us to really light us up, which then allows us to know what the right opportunities are and because of that, we're not going to get taken out of the game because our emotions are going to make us feel less than. So here are four ways to build emotional intelligence and the branch of it, which is self-awareness. Now, guys, I just want to give you a disclaimer. I've been teaching this for quite some time. 
And any time I've taught it, we have a rule as humans. And the rule is that if something is hard, then it's worth it. And if something is easy, well, gee, like that was too easy to get. So just know what I'm about to show you is exercises to build self-awareness. And if the thought comes, well, that's got to be too easy. Don't put that rule in place that you have to jump through hoops to get to a certain result because that's what has been defined for, for many of us. But know that the simplicity is where the actual results lie. So as I go through these four things, pick at least one that you want to commit to, to become self-awareness, like putting that mirror in front of you. The first one is to keep a journal. And the reason why I say keep a journal is because it actually records everything that you do and why you do it and your emotions. That's a telling tale of what's going on with inside you when you read that journal back a year from now, a month from now. Oprah Winfrey, whether you consider her a success or not, one of her career successes she puts down to is keeping a journal. And the reason why she's been successful in her career is she's chosen the right opportunities. She gets loads of opportunities, but she picks the one that's right for her and she puts it down to the fact that she's very well aware of what her strengths are, what her weaknesses are, what triggers her. And she's come to know that over time through keeping a journal because everything comes out in that journal. And that's a way to keep a track because Monday turns into Tuesday, Tuesday turns into Wednesday, by the time you know it, the week's end, the new week's begun, the new month has begun. By the time you know it, 2021 is going to roll by. And the way to just get a hold and get in control, remember, that's the whole point of managing your mind, is to gain control. One of the ways is to keep a journal, to keep a record of what's going on in the day, what emotions it's bringing up. Second thing is get curious about yourself instead of judging. Here's the thing. If you judge someone, I mean, we all have. I mean, look at that. I mean, that's a terrible report. That's a terrible dress. That's a terrible haircut. Whatever judgment we make of people. Anytime you judge someone else, it also means that you judge yourself. And when you judge yourself, you cannot become aware of yourself because judgment is... I knew better, I know better. It takes, judgment takes away curiosity to find out why. So in order for you, when you get triggered or when you get happy, in order for you to find out what actually happened there so I can replicate that, you need to actually ask yourself, look, where did that feeling come from? Why did I feel happy there? Why did that make me feel good? And by asking that question and getting curious and not... Because usually we judge ourselves, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. Oh my God, I'm so stupid. How, why would I say? When you do that, it stops the ability to get curious and become self-aware. So what you want to do is like investigate yourself like you're a third person. So why did I say that? I wonder. I wonder why I did that. Like what did I gain from it? And when you're getting curious and questioning yourself about just why, what that does, it also stops you from ju judging other people. And when you stop judging other people, you're more focused on becoming self-aware. And that, that gap that is left in your mind, that space where judgment's not longer being held, prepares it and creates that neuropathway 
for more self-awareness. Number three, what did you enjoy as a kid and why? What did you enjoy as a kid and why? This is so juicy and so important. When I do workshops on self-awareness, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where I focus on. When people say, I don't know what I want to do with myself. Like, I don't know if I want to change my careers. I don't know if I want to stay in this position. I don't know if I should go for the other position. Ask yourself, what three things did you enjoy doing as a kid? And why did you do them? Because if you do that exercise in the why column, you will see emotions, you will see words, you will see phrases, you will see what motivates you. You will see your motivations coming out and why you chose to do certain things as a kid. Let me give an example. When Oprah Winfrey was a kid, losing her again, when she was a kid at three years old, she would go and recite verses from the Bible in church. And people would say, she had no idea what she was saying. She was three years old, but she would just recite them and she would get incredible feedback about how young she was and how incredible her recitation was. And now she speaks for a little. Gary Vaynerchuk, who if ever anyone knows, is a really, is a very well-known internet marketer or marketer online at the moment, business plan. He's, he's a serial entrepreneur. And one of the things that he did as a kid that he enjoyed, and he, they all reference this, by the way, guys, Every single person that's successful references the point in their childhood when they woke up to that thing that they were enjoying. And he references the fact that he would go and, um, that he would go and sell baseball cards. And as a kid, how much he was earning just selling baseball cards. And that's the only thing he wanted to do growing up. He didn't know it was called being an entrepreneur because this was back in the 80s. But that's exactly what it to do. He wanted to buy and sell. He wanted to trade. And if I were to look at myself, me as a kid, when I was in year two, I would create sheets for my friends to do a recess, worksheets, and then I would be speaking and training them. It's what I get to do now. And so what you did as a kid is very revealing. So what did you do as a kid and why did you do it? If you do that exercise in the why column, you will see what becomes revealing for you. And then lastly, visit your values. And visiting your values is, and this is all about self-awareness, guys. Visiting your values is pretty much taking a sheet of paper, putting a line down the middle, and on the left-hand side, writing, what do you value? And value is just a fancy word for what's important to you. Is it health? Is it faith? Is it um, security? Is it family? What's important to you? You write down what you value. And on the right-hand side of that sheet, you would do this on a daily or weekly basis or even monthly basis, depending on how self-aware you want to become. You would write down on the right-hand side, did I conduct myself in a way that reinforces my values? And what that does, that's your litmus test to how you become self-aware. So a sheet of paper, line down the middle, left-hand side, what do you value? And on the right-hand side, as you go about your day, your week, your quarter, did I conduct myself in alignment with my values? And the more often you do it, the more acquainted, aligned you become, self-aware of yourself.
So those are just some examples of self-awareness, guys, but I urge you to pick one at least, if not all, pick one to start you off and to get to learn, learn about yourself, to become self-aware. Because when you're self-aware, you, you, you are in control and not your emotions. You are in control and not the beating of your heart that makes you feel nervous and not the beating of your heart that makes you feel fumbling or unsure. You become in control. And when you're in control, it doesn't mean you, you're, you still won't feel your heartbeat. All it means you know how to control it rather than that emotion overtaking you. And so lastly, I wrote an article on the drug called motivation. Because a lot of the time people say, if I just get motivated, if I, if I just get a hit of motivation, if people just get a hit of, you know, whatever makes them motivated. Some people need alcohol. Some people need a pill. And once we get that hit, now we're ready to do it. Now we're ready to do whatever it is that we need to do, you know, make breakfast or go to work, or, you know, finish the project. But motivation is nothing more than becoming self-aware of what triggers you. Because trust me, a, a mum at three o'clock in the morning when her baby is crying is not motivated to get up at that time of the morning right? You're not motivated. If you're a mum, you've experienced being a parent, it's just what you have to do. And so motivation, when if we wait for motivation, once I get motivated, once I'm ready, then what you're do doing is you're stalling emotional intelligence. You're stalling the ability to get yourself emotionally fit. And when you stall, that creates a pathway that you're always going to stall. That's what your go-to will be. And I call it a drug because it, once we get a hit, we're ready to do it. But if we don't get that hit, we're just going to wait until hopefully inspiration strikes us somewhere. So it's really important that for you, if you want to get into a motivational spirit to get motivated to do anything, it's really about looking at your self-awareness. And when you do that, you're not waiting for motivation. You trigger it on demand just by the exercises I've shown you. And so lastly, I want to end with this because we're, we're um, wrapping up. The refugee story that I, that I spoke to you about at the beginning of this talk, and then I said to you that the cornerstone of emotional intelligence is that refugee journey of what happens and then where we are today right now. And the opposite end of the spectrum of where we are to the refugee journey and everything in between is what we experience. That journey of the refugee is my story. That journey of the refugee is what I was leaving Afghanistan. And I share that with you because emotional intelligence is not something that you put into a box that you hopefully will have one day. Emotional intelligence is what's enabled my dad, my mum, to enable me to speak to you today. It was through emotional intelligence that's got me to a position to be able to address you and speak about it. And so I'm here only because of the fact that this emotional intelligence is the key. If you're feeling run down, if you're feeling not heard, if you're feeling happy and you think that that's an overdose of happiness, because there is such thing as sabotaging what we've got. If you're locked into somewhere, if there's an unknown, the skill that gets you through and out and coping and really controlling that is the skill of emotional intelligence. And I share that with you because 
I don't speak of the refugee journey lightly. It's because what I've experienced and I've experienced both ends of the spectrum. And at both ends, the key thing, minus my degree, minus my position, minus my pay bracket, it's irrelevant. What's the key to having any of these aligned and being excelling in any way of your life is the ability to manage your mind. Thank you very much. No, no, okay, let's, no, okay, let's... Sorry, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. How about now? Is it, is it any better now? Yes, I can hear you. Thank you. Perfect. In that case, uh, Rita, thanks for a fantastic presentation. I'm going to open it up to the floor for questions, um, both either online, if anybody's got any questions. I can see the chat, but I can't see any questions coming up. Um, I'm also going to open it to anybody in the audience who would like to ask anything to Rita. Yes, there's a question over there. And if, again, if you get the mic, and hopefully it's not going to reverb like, my, like this one did. I'm sure. So, so the question is if you're yeah, I'm just going to repeat the question for you. Um, so the, the question is, if you're on a journey of self-awareness and you've got, you, you, you're nicely a little bit along the way with the question, uh, with, with the journey, um, but the, um, but how do you survive as an EA if you're in an office where other people aren't along a, a self-awareness journey and you work with people who aren't self-aware? Oh, great question. Fantastic question. I mean, if we were just to look at the state of the world right now, um, it's a whole thing of, I am aware, but that person isn't. It's really nothing to do with the other person. Your emotional intelligence is all about how you need to conduct yourself when you're with those people who are not aware. Because like any situation, you won't be able to control that other person. And if I could just use as a reference point to mirror what I'm saying, if you take it, like for example, the instance of the refugee journey, they don't have emotional, people smugglers don't have emotional intelligence. There are wild people, when I say wild people, wild people on that journey that will do anything. And so it's not about them. It's not even about them to try and get them to understand or to, the ethics of just being a human. It's about understanding and being so self-aware of what decisions you take in that moment of that interaction. And so it's the same thing in the EA structure. It's nothing to do with getting them to understand because that's you can't do that for anybody. Not even for your own child or husband, you can't do that. But what you need to do is become so self-aware of to know how to handle what's going on in the heat of the moment. And that's the emotional intelligence part of the work. It's all the onus is all on you to handle yourself and not the onus, to, but they're not doing it. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, and, and then we've got a question um, from Sylvia, I believe. And if you can just clarify if I've got, if I've got this right, um, and it relates perhaps to the 
this concept of the happiness trap where, where people are, are sabotaging themselves because they're on this search for happiness. Um, how do you get the balance right between understanding yourself and searching for this, this, this concept of happiness that may or may not oh, be yeah. a real concept? Wonderful question. In fact, that's exactly what people ask me all the time in my programs. How do I know that? And nobody can answer that except for you. And what it takes for you to know that for you is knowing, becoming self-aware, actually doing, actually doing the, um, the exercise that for that specific question, doing that exercise on the three things that you enjoyed doing as a kid and why will reveal to you what happiness is. Like in terms of the profession that you want, in terms of the lifestyle that you want. The only question remains once you work that out is to what extent do I want, where do I want to take my career? But once you get into the profession that you want, how, what that barrier or where that extent or where that standard of success, only you can measure that. But for you to just firstly engage in what's going to make you happy and where you draw the line for what happiness is, it's a question of, well, what's right for me? That's really what the question is asking. And the only way that you can answer that, because emotional intelligence is all about putting you in the control seat rather than some expert. And the way to answer that for yourself for that specific question is to do that exercise of what are the three things that you enjoyed doing as a kid before social conditioning set in, before someone told you you need to do this. Actually, no, don't do that. Before that got into place, what did you do? How did you spend your time and why? which is the most important part because the why is going to reveal the question of what you did is just to get your brain thinking. The why is where all the meat is. The why is where your happiness is and what it's going to reveal to you. Fantastic. Look, I, I know you wanted to explore that question a little bit further, but in the interest of time, I am going to have to wrap things up there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please join me in thanking Rita. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we Hope you enjoyed that keynote, guys, uh, the keynote on emotional intelligence. If you actually want to see the slides that I go through, then please make sure to go to YouTube and you will see the actual talk uploaded onto YouTube on emotional intelligence. If you're looking to find your passion, minus your resume, minus the clutter, minus the indecision, minus the feeling stuck, then drop me a line at reader at unboxyourgift. Com. And also, if you're looking to uh, get emotional intelligence training, drop me a line and we can get that sorted for you. So want to thank you for your time, guys. See you next week on the next episode of the Passion to Profession podcast.